was accepted. Oh, get that. The only work God has ever accepted among men is the work of Jesus Christ in his death on Calvary's cross. Everything else was a type and a shadow, and though God would tell Israel to do something and they would do it, it still couldn't get them into heaven. Your doing today can't get you into heaven. But Jesus and what he did at Calvary is what gets us all into heaven. But not just into heaven, but it's what brings the, the, the confirming voice of the Holy Spirit, by the way, again, which is the more sure word of prophecy, that you have that the voice of the Holy Spirit who will guide you into all truth, but he will also convict you not only of what truth is, who truth is, and what your faith has to be in to be found walking in that truth, but he will also convict me when I'm beginning to, even, even in the slightest way, even in the slightest way, to, to begin to look away. He, he's there to convict me. And, and many times we, we override that. We know we do. An honest man will admit he, he overrides that. He'll push that, 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 that still small voice out of the way to, to get something he wants or to be a part of this group or to have that amount of money. There's all sorts of things that we have done to, 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 that or that we wanted uh, to when we push that still small voice out but listen what we have is a more sure word of prophecy and what happened on the mount that we call of transfiguration that day was a picture of what god and the only thing that god has his approval on the only thing that god is pleased with is Jesus. We say, and the Bible says it, Hebrews eleven six. it's impossible to please God without faith. And my friends, it's impossible to please God without the faith of the Son of God because that's the faith we live by. That's the faith that justified us, Galatians 2.16. That's the faith that, that saved us and justified us, Galatians 2 and 20. That's the faith we live by, hallelujah. It's the only faith God is pleased with. He's not pleased with any other thing that I think I can do to cause faith to work for me. Jesus died for me and offered me his faith, the measure of his faith, and and. That's the only thing God is pleased with. You say, well, God ain't very pleased with very much, is he? You're absolutely right. He's not pleased with anything and cannot be pleased with anything other than the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. I've said it for years, and, it, and, it, and, and it'll never change. God only honors what God does. And God only does what God does through his son's sacrifice. He begged Cain to, he pleaded, and listen, imagine this. God Almighty 
begged and pleaded with Cain, please do the right thing here. Offer that. There, there is a sacrifice there for you at the door. Please. But Cain wouldn't have it. He went and did it his way. Many today are in that same boat. There is only one thing, one, that pleases God. And that is his son and what he did by grace through faith in his death on the cross. You might say, well, you know, God was pleased with Jesus before he ever died. Yeah, but you don't know him after the flesh. And the, the Bible tells us that. No man knows Jesus after the flesh. And I have to bring this up quite often. The apostle Paul never knew Jesus after the flesh, but he knew him better than all those who did. He never walked with Jesus in his earthly perfect ministry but his ministry was greater than all the apostles put together. Paul even says he labored more than all the other apostles. But he gave glory to God because he said, what I've done, I've done by the grace that is with me. Not because I've worked harder. It's because of the grace of God, who is the spirit of grace, the spirit of God was with him. Hallelujah. So don't forget these all-important things, and I hope you'd write them down, that what happened on the mountain that day is what caused God's prophetic word to be more sure now than ever before. And that as Jesus would even go on from that place and fulfill, fulfill, not only what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration that day, but fulfill all of what the scriptures, the law, the prophets, and the psalmist had written would be fulfilled at the cross. Many things were being fulfilled all along the way, but there was no understanding of what was being fulfilled. There was no understanding of what was being fulfilled until his death took place. Because in his death, the pleasure of God poured out like gushing mighty rivers flowing down from a mountaintop, rivers of righteousness being offered to men. I want you to think about that. When Jesus died, rivers of righteousness, streams of righteousness flowed down. You, you couldn't see that in the natural, but it is what was happening in the spirit. Rivers Streams of righteousness flowing down, being offered to men now because the fulfillment of all scriptures were finished as far as it pertained to redemption. What it would take to redeem all men, free all men from sin and its dominions and its bondages to free those who were being held temporarily in the place called paradise and even <coughs> one day in our near future, all of Israel <coughs> being saved. It took the cross. It didn't take, <coughs> excuse me, it didn't take anything else Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That precious poured out blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That is where our boast is. That is all of our boast. 
when our boast is there, we'll have the boldness to do what we're called to do, where we're called to walk. When, when our faith is there, we'll be able to hear the right voices and to have the right discernment to, to be involved in the work of God. It'll be there. So let's read this now in verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place. Now here we have being told us that the more sure word of prophecy is what we better be taking heed to because it is the shining light. It is the shining light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in our hearts. What we have now, get this so beautiful. What we have now is the the more sure word of prophecy. Get this now, and I hope the Lord uh, would be able to, to let you see the picture of this. But what we have now is a more sure word of prophecy that the Bible says is as unto a light that shines in a dark place. And every morning when the sun begins to rise from the edge of the horizon, it's just, it's, we call it the sunrise. And it's, and it's slowly rising. And as it rises, it, it is, it is, beginning to show us what we need to see so we can walk and function and go about and do the things we're called to do in the daytime that most cannot be done at night where there is no sunlight. And when, when the sun begins to shine, there's a, there's a, a light there. And, it's, and, it, and it, what it leads to is the day star, the sun, rising. And, and this is what we're being told that we have right now in our life, in this old world that's not our home, but we're in it. We're not of it, but we're in it. We have this more sure word of prophecy that allows us to see the, the proper horizon to keep our eyes on where this day star, this sun, the son of God's righteousness who's rising with healing in his wings, the prophet Malachi said, that, that, that we can see we've got a new horizon, saints, to be looking at, to be looking for. We've got a new, we're not headed into darkness. We, we were in darkness and headed into more darkness, but we have been translated out of that path and way of darkness. We're no longer heading to, to a, a, a place of darkness. We've had our direction changed, and now we have a whole new horizon to look forward to. But what makes that horizon a shining light with hope that the sun is rising and we're going to have the full glow of it any moment. It, 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 God relates these things to, to natural things and Jesus is coming and he is our day star. He is going to come out of those clouds and when he comes back and we come with him one day, 
He's going to be riding on a white horse. And the clothing he wears is going to have been dipped in blood. It's going to be what everybody recognizes him as. And all those on white horses that come with him are going to be recognized as his people because of what he is wearing and what he is being called because of what he's wearing is that vesture dipped in blood and he's going to be called the word of God. There is no word of God that can be seen properly or even applied to the heart of man if it has not been dipped in the blood of Jesus. It is men tossing knowledge around among men if we are not learning to be determined to know nothing other, to preach nothing other than all of God's word in its context of light. Thy word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What makes that path of righteousness brighter unto that perfect day, Proverbs 4.18, is that we're still headed that direction. We're still on that path that's shining brighter and brighter because we're getting closer and closer to this day star rising as the sun rises in the east every morning. This day star, who is our Jesus, rising in our hearts and just completely consuming all that we are. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Until that day, we point to this place, Jesus Christ and him crucified, where the light gets turned on and the feet get put on the path that shines brighter and brighter. Hallelujah. As long as we stay determined to know nothing else but Christ and him crucified, as long as we don't become ashamed of those words or get pulled away by men who say that we're using those words in a wrong fashion, but we stay the course. Listen, listen, if you stay the course, you're going to be bombarded with all sorts of negativity because staying the course means you're shining the light. You know, I was thinking this morning about lighthouses that that are on the, the shore somewhere. And most of the time, the lighthouse is not even needed. But in those crucial times when someone is out on the stormy sea, they need something to point and give them direction. And the lighthouse for us is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Without that last part, he's not our lighthouse. What turned the light on was the cross. And, and you know those lighthouses, they're there on the shore. And, and, and for the most part, they're, they're really not, not needed. And they're not, listen, the only time they're really needed is, one, is someone is looking around to see where they are compared to where the lighthouse is. Because the lighthouse is what makes keeps us sure of our right direction, our right location right now. Hallelujah. We've got to have the cross of Christ in view at all times. It's got to be the, the, the vocal point at all times because no scripture, no scripture can have any effect on man if our faith is not deliberately and consciously in the cross. And, 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 and when it, in our faith is there, 
then we can continue to be led by the Spirit in the Spirit and experience what the Holy Spirit alone can do, even the working of miracles and all the beautiful things that the Lord desires to do according to His good, acceptable, and perfect will. But when we take our eyes off the cross, or and, and, and listen, and, 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 and we stop, listen, even when we stop warning against things, that cause people to take their eyes off the cross, that means our eyes are being moved away from the cross. And we need to know these things. This place, this, this place where we, we're called to stand is where God planted us when we were born again. And you'll notice when people begin to move away from it because they'll, they, 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 listen, they, they won't warn about what's wrong. They won't warn. They won't warn. You have to be able to tell people what's wrong, why, why things aren't working for them. I mean, that's what happened to us, right? We, we were warned and we were really being corrected by the Lord because we were trusting in all sorts of things that was not just simply the death of Jesus, the death of Jesus. Glory be to God. It's so good to know these things today, but it's a beautiful passage here. And you know, there's a scripture. Let's go find it. It's in Psalms 19, but let's read it today. Just the prophetic word in Psalms 19, because you do know that all the word of God is prophetic, right? I wrote something down before we started the session today, and I want to read it to you. It says this, prophecy is the word of God that is to come, that is to be fulfilled. But we can only know it in part. Now, we're told that. We're told that in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 9 and 10, that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and he says, for we know in part, and we prophesy, we prophesy in part because we don't know everything perfectly yet, but we do know things in part, a partial knowledge. Now, now we do have enough to live and live godly, the Bible tells us, but we don't know exactly everything perfectly yet all knowledge, and we also only prophesy in part. That, means, that don't mean we prophesy wrong. It just means we don't prophesy in its fullest prophetic fulfillment yet because Jesus has not come yet and caught the church away. And the second coming of Christ has not taken place yet. He is not yet reigning on a throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years, but it's all to come. And we, but, but watch, he says, Verse 10 in 1 Corinthians 13, but when that which is perfect is come, that means when that who is Jesus, the only perfect thing that exists, comes, then that which is in part shall be done away with. This means when Jesus, who is our day star, arises in our hearts, he's already living in our hearts. But we're told we need to, and we'll get to Psalms 19 here in just a minute. We have also a more sure word of prophecy where until you do well that you take heed to it, this more sure word of prophecy, as unto a light that shines in this dark place until the day dawn. That's, that's talking about the day of the Lord. That day, that day, that 7,000th 
day, that seventh day, that 7,000th period of 1,000 years, that last 1,000 years, that day that the day star comes and reigns over the whole earth. Get this now. And the day star rise in your heart. So let's go back to Psalms 19 in, in verse 1. And let's look at the prophetic word here. Speaking of that which is to come. The prophet, the prophetic word. Remember Jesus rebuked the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus because they thought that Jesus was the one, but then concluded that he wasn't because they weren't understanding the scriptures. And Jesus began, it's in Luke 22, I'm sorry, Luke 24, 44 through 46, and he expounds on the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. He expounds on all of that and how it's concerning him. And in other places, Jesus said, you search the scriptures, and you think you have life in the scriptures, but the scriptures are, are they which testify of me, but you won't come to me. That's what he said. So watch this Psalms 19, a great example of the prophetic word, a more sure word of prophecy that, that, that has been fulfilled now and even more so to come. Because that's what prophecy prophecy. Many times in the Old Testament, well, we might as well say all the time in the Old Testament, but sometimes you can't really say all the time prophecy had a double reference because sometimes it was simply spoken about what would come when Christ came, but sometimes it had a personal right then or soon coming in those days experience of what was prophesied, but it would also be, as Jesus would show up and say, that which pointed to him. And this is one of those in Psalms 19 that simply was spoken concerning the Savior that would come. And look, look at the beautiful picture of this, of this more sure word of prophecy that's written in Psalms chapter 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day, utters speech. Get that. Day unto day. What is day unto day? Sunrise unto sunrise unto sunrise. And night unto night shows knowledge. It shows knowledge. It reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice, the voice of Day unto day and night unto night, there is no there there is there is no language where their voice is not heard. Get that now. There there is no language which is heard where the voice of day unto day and night unto night is not declaring the glory of the Lord. Now know this. Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. Don't forget that. Now watch this in verse 4. Their line, meaning their measuring line. What? what? God's measurement of sun up after sun up, meaning, meaning night after night, 
and sun up after sun up, their measuring line is gone out through all the earth. And their words, the words of sun up after sun up, day after day, night unto night, their words have gone out to all the earth, to the very ends of the world, in them, in them, in day unto day unto day, night after night after night, in them, the, 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 the voice that speaks through them, this, this prophetic voice that God is speaking through what's happening on the very earth. Listen. Let's read verse 4. Their measuring line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them has he set a tabernacle for the sun, a tent, a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom. Who is our bridegroom? It's the Lord Jesus Christ, hallelujah. In day unto day, uttering speech, night unto night, showing this knowledge that there is a God and that even through the things in the firmament, their creation shows there is a God and shows this God is trying to reveal something to men. But watch this now in verse 5. He says this place where he's in, in, in this day unto day utterance and this night unto night showing this knowledge in them, he has measured out this place and made in this place a tabernacle for the sun. The tabernacle is for the sun, S-U-N, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Every sunrise, we ought to be thinking more than how beautiful that is. We ought to be thinking more according to the more sure word of prophecy. When the sun rises, that ought to remind us of this bridegroom that's coming out of his chamber and rejoicing as a strong man to come and to run a race. My goodness. Jesus, our day star, Peter said, the day star is the sun. During the day, our day, you go out, you're not going to see stars with the naked eye anyway. You're not going to see stars, but you are going to see the day star. The sun that gives us light during the day is a star. And it's called the day star, the, great, the greater light. And Jesus here, even in Psalms 19, is revealed... And related to the sun that rises every morning and speaks, hallelujah, day unto day is uttering speech. Day unto day is uttering speech. And Jesus said the scriptures were about him. If they're not about him, 
There's no light from God for the scriptures to be related to us because we as God's children are in Christ. Think about that. This sun that rises every morning that is uttering speech, uttering speech day after day is the sun that God has made a tabernacle for, measured out this place for his son to dwell. Watch this now. And he says the rising sun that's uttering speech every sunrise, the speech it's uttering is it's pointing to this bridegroom that's going to come out of his chamber and rejoicing as a strong man to run a race. Now, I want you to know our Savior, Jesus Christ, came forth from heaven, born of a virgin. Hallelujah. Oh, run. He ran a perfect race and finished that perfect race. Accomplished. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Jesus came as a bridegroom to run that race and rejoicing every step of the way. Remember even at the Last Supper, he said, he said, I, well, he didn't use the word rejoice. Uh, let me see if I can find it. I'm, I'm at a loss for words here. Luke uh, 20, isn't it? Verse 22. I believe that's right. Or maybe it's, Chapter 22, verse 20, when he sat down, uh, I can't find it. Uh, yes, here it is. Luke 22 and 15. Sorry about that. I just didn't have most of this planned or any of it really planned to say the Lord give us direction. I pray he does and continue to. But in Luke twenty-two fifteen, 15, uh, Jesus says this at the Last Supper. He says unto them in Luke 22 and 15, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Think about this. With desire, I have desired. <clears throat> I mean, it would have been one thing if he said, I have desired to eat this, this, this Passover with you before I suffer. And you know what? That would have been sufficient and marvelous, those words, because they came out of his mouth and, and they, they really meant, meant, meant a great thing. But Jesus said, with desire, I have desired. That means, that means he was con completely just consumed with the, this zeal of his heavenly father, this zeal of God to carry out this <clears throat> will of God. To he, Jesus was running the race as a bridegroom and, and he, he, came, he came bursting forth out of his chamber there, rejoicing all the way, rejoicing all the way. Was his heart broken over the stray sheep of Israel? Yes, it was. He even cried tears over them. His heart was broken many times as he could not hardly ever find anybody in, in Israel that had faith. And those that he would marvel concerning their faith was 
people who were not even from Israel, but yet he rejoiced every step of the way because what he was doing, he was doing as a bridegroom. Do you get that? A bridegroom has a bride. Everything he was doing, I believe with all my heart that all God has done throughout eternity past, all that God has ever done among men was to gain his son a bride. It is about God's son having a bride. Hallelujah. And you and I, with desire, should desire to lay our lives down and to follow him and to tell everybody how this is done, how this is accomplished, and with even a gr as great a zeal to warn against everything that would hinder that, to warn against everything that would hinder that. And, 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 and it, it, listen, we have a more sure word of prophecy. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful and wonderful. Second Peter, let's get back to it over here where we are this morning. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Now, did I finish? You, you, I hope that you'd go back and finish Psalms 19 and see even more. I stopped short because we're not, I just wanted to point that out as an example of a more sure word of prophecy. And what was happening on the Mount of Transfiguration that day was the confirmation that Peter's writing about that we have also this more sure word of prophecy. What was happening there was fulfillment of prophecy that would even be later fulfilled. See, in that time, even on the Mount of Transfiguration, it was still in men's understanding in part. Get that. Even what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration, as beautiful and powerful and revealing as it was, was still in part. If it wasn't, then... They wouldn't have got downtrodden when Jesus died, but they did. And even now, after that, and we see the revelation of all that, our knowledge we still only know in part. It doesn't mean that we, 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 we can't know enough to be saved or we can't know enough to live saved because the Bible clearly teaches opposite from that. We've been given everything, everything that we have to live and to live godly before God. Everything because we've been given His Son and His Son in Him all things consist. So, but we still, because we're in this fleshly body that hinders and we're waiting by the Spirit through faith for the righteousness that is still to come, meaning our righteous bodies, glorified bodies. But because we don't have them yet, we still only know in part. We can still only prophesy in part. Nevertheless, the Word of God is our more sure word of prophecy. So let's look at this a little bit more this morning. He says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. <clears throat> 
Jesus Christ lives in our hearts. He is the day star. But when he arises, arises in our hearts and consumes us completely, and these bodies are even no more, and, you know, this mortality is been removed and taken and, 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 and taken over by immortality is when we're going to meet him in the clouds and we're going to be like him as he is now, as he is there, and we're going to have glorified bodies. But we're not there yet. But my friend, I got good news for you. We're only steps away. Hallelujah. We're, we're only steps away from this, this stepping into this glorified body. We're only steps away. But until then, we're called to take heed under this more sure word of prophecy that is as unto the light, which always is referring to Jesus, in this dark place, he's the only light we've got. He even teaches us that if we follow him, that, that we won't walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. I believe it's John 8, 12. And we know that he also taught for that to be the experience of that we can have. It requires us to deny self, take up our cross, and follow him, which proves, confirms, there is no light that we can experience of Christ without our faith, our hearts yielded to the truth of what he did for us at Calvary, even as a born-again for 40 years child of God. Amen. If we begin to yield our hearts to other avenues in other ways, the words we speak, uh, the things we do, then, then, then we become bewitched and we're no longer, listen, we might think we are, but there's ways that, seem right to men, but the end of those ways are death. But if we get involved, if we start yielding to anything other than the death of Jesus, if we start yielding from our hearts to anything other than the death of Jesus, then this more sure word of prophecy is not the light that we're holding dear and that we're trusting. You need to understand that. He says, knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. And I want to uh, say this, that the prophetic word is, is not just about eschatology, the end times. The first time there is a prophetic word occurring in the Bible is the first time God spoke to Adam. L let me say that one more time. <clears throat> the first time there is a prophetic, a word of prophecy mentioned in the Bible, it is the first time God opened his mouth and spoke to Adam, commanding the man that you may freely eat of all the trees in the garden, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day, you're the prophetic voice of God. In the day you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. May I say unto you that every word of God is a prophetic word of God. And none of his words were told here. None, no prophecy, no scriptures are of any private interpretation. 
and, and we'll see here, I hope we will see here, that you don't have a right and I don't have a right to interpret Scripture. The one who interprets Scripture is the one who has spoken Scripture, the one who has written through men Scripture. Let's read this now. For the prophecy, verse 21, let's just back up and read verse 20 and 21 to see it all together, to hear it all together. Knowing this first, my friends, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any, none, no private interpretation. Because the prophecy did not come in old times by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, this we should take heed to, as Peter said, many do not. Many today in this lawless and backslidden age in which we live, and I'm talking about even among church folk, and I'm not being ugly, just to bring warning out, that there is so much personal interpretation going on. And the Bible says there is no prophecy of the Scripture that's of any, any private interpretation. Because the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God. Holy, see there's the key phrase, holy Men of God. Men, holy men. Doesn't mean they were without sin. It meant holiness is being set apart for God's use and to walk with God where he walks and to be able to speak the oracles God, the oracles of God as he speaks through you. And that's what scriptures are about. When you begin to say, well, men just wrote the Bible and, you know, men, you know, and all, all these things, this doubt and unbelief that enters in, which is always the influence of satanic powers when we begin to doubt God's word. And I've heard it many times. Well, what about all the other books that are mentioned in the Bible, but they're not put in the canon of scriptures? And I promise you, my brother and sister, if you start dabbling in all that stuff, all that is is a spirit of doubt and unbelief that God could not put together in one volume the canon of scriptures and it be all we need to show us what we need in this age he's offering us redemption. If, if I need to change something in the word or, and I'm not talking about uh, showing deeper meanings of the words to help enhance the view of the Lamb. I'm talking about changing them where they don't mean, where they mean more so uh, what we do instead of what Christ did. You know the word is being changed if it's moved away from the focus of the Lamb. If I try to change, and here, here's where it gets so so easy to understand for those who can understand when I try to change the word, take from the word, add to the word, I'm trying to change God himself. Whether I, I don't realize I'm doing it or, or whatever excuse I, I give, that is what I'm trying to do. And that's why the penalty 
for taking from the word or adding to the word written in the book of Revelation is so strong. And God doesn't back up from it. God doesn't back up from it just because we're living in what we call the grace age. There's always been grace. Just because we're living in an age where Jesus has already worked, did the work and declared it complete doesn't mean that there's still not uh, a responsibility and a requirement in Christians' life not to change the word. You take away from it, your name be taken out of the, of the book of life. That's just what's written in the Bible. You add to it, the plagues of the book will be added to you. That's what's written in the Bible. And the Bible says, in the beginning was the word, in John 1, 1 and 2, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In verse 14 of that first chapter of John in the Word, who is God? The Word became flesh. Jesus came to show us just how unchangeable God is. How good and merciful, gracious and kind, even to the evil and unthankful He is, but He's unchangeable. And there's scriptures that tell us our God does not change. That means His Word does not change. You don't have a right to interpret the Word of God based on your denomination. Even the, what's called the Catholic stuff, because they're not, they're not the church, but the Catholic people who have their own Bible claim that they have the authority, they are the authority to be able to, to do with God's Word what needs to be done, changing it or whatever, and that's just very demonic and satanic. God, because he is the word, is unchangeable and his word cannot be changed. Therefore, we can depend on it. We can have assurance from it. It can, when we hear it properly in its righteous context, bring faith through righteousness to produce the fruits of righteousness. It can do that. It will if we hear the word properly, if we're discerning and interpreting it under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit who spoke the word and wrote the word can interpret the word. They were moved by the Holy Ghost because without the Holy Spirit, there was no word spoken in the Old Testament. There was no word spoken in the Old Testament. Even at times and in certain places when the pre-incarnate Christ would show up and, 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 and talk to Abraham and at other times mentioned in the Bible, still all of that was being done by the Holy Spirit. There's nothing happens without the Spirit of God. Even Jesus, who had to come and physically suffer and die in his flesh, Hebrews 9 and 14 tell us it was even that was done through the eternal Spirit. And the Scriptures came as the Holy Spirit moved men to be able to speak through men, and it, that has not changed. Except in this manner, in the past days, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, in time past, God spoke to the fathers of Israel by the prophets, but in these last days, he's speaking, he has spoken to us by his son. 
And that takes place, and it's revealed to us how that takes place. Therefore, take heed how you hear as God in Hebrews 12, 24, and 25 speaks from heaven through the blood of his son. You're not going to hear God speaking to you outside of your heart yielded to the gospel. It began that way and it will not change. Galatians chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 tell us that the moment they stopped trusting in the sacrifice of Christ, they were no longer obeying the truth, they were bewitched, and they were no longer walking in the spirit. The moment they yielded their heart to the way of circumcision as being a way to perfect themselves and get closer to God and to grow in the things of God. The moment they yielded their heart to something other than what gave them the spirit. It's powerful, Galatians 3, 1 through 3. The moment we yield our hearts and trust in anything else, that's not the voice of the Holy Spirit telling you to do that. So he can't guide you into that. But when you allow him to get you to look back to Calvary, he can, as he has me and countless millions others, he can guide you back out of that, back to where he leads, which is in the path of righteousness. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Well, that's all we're going to have time for today. I hope you've been encouraged, edified, and strengthened, and maybe hopefully enlightened by the Holy Spirit that's trying to give us a greater enhancement of our Savior as the Lamb of God and what he provided there on the cross for us through all of the scriptures, especially here in Second Peter. I just thank you so much for all the encouraging words, edifying words that so many of you send me personally and, and, and encourage me. And, and, and I'm just so thankful for the great truths that the Lord is pouring out in these last few moments before he comes for his bride. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm looking for him and I'm even looking for him right now and today. But until he comes, we've got to occupy the land as the light bearers that we are. And I just praise God for those opportunities. And those of you who are arm in arm with us, soldiers of the cross, declaring this great truth of the gospel and warning against all the diseases that are out there that would distract and hinder from this great move of God. If the Lord stirs your heart to be a blessing financially to this ministry, to give an offering to him through this ministry, you can do that at thecrosswaychurch.com or you can simply text the word GIVE to the number 903-231-5350. Isn't that right? 903-231-5350. I think it's right. It'll be on the screen if I'm getting it wrong. So praise God. God bless you. Look forward to what the Lord's going to do in your life today and believe him for great and mighty things because he loves you and he's faithful. I'll see you next time. Until then, stay determined to know absolutely nothing but Christ and him crucified. We'll see you then.